If you often find your days spiraling out of control, you're not alone. Ensuring you have a productive workday isn't always easy. There are many ways you can structure your day, and everyone has a different method of what works best for them. This week on the podcast, we're giving you a rundown of our favorite productivity hacks you can use to improve your everyday life, both at work and at home. Let's dig in. Welcome to the Ladybug Podcast. I'm Kelly. I'm Allie. And I'm Emma, and we're debugging the tech industry. When it comes to achieving your goals, it can feel like others are much more successful, sometimes supernaturally so. In reality, though, super performers achieve big things while dealing with similar limitations, self-defeating habits, and tight deadlines, as all of us. In other words, productive people do the same things we all struggle with, but a little bit smarter. They often use tools to help them use their time more efficiently. Kendall React is one such tool that thousands of React developers use to cut development time on their complex React projects. For example, if you estimated six months to implement a scheduler into your React project, the developer using Kendall React will plan just a few days for customization and styling. Kendall React is a professional UI components and data visualization library for React. A free 30-day trial of Kendall React is available for all Ladybug listeners. For more information, visit kendoreact.com. Again, that's K-E-N-D-O, react.com. As much as we'd love to pretend we're all perfect developers, the reality is we're going to make some mistakes. And that's why I love that HoneyBadger has my back. HoneyBadger makes you a DevOps hero by combining error, uptime, and check-in monitoring into a single, easy-to-use platform, and it's super affordable too. HoneyBadger monitors and sends error alerts real-time with everything you need to see what's causing the error and where it's hiding in the code so you can quickly resolve the issue. You also get uptime and check-in monitoring to let you know when your external services are having issues or your background jobs go missing or silently fail. With their collaborative tools, you'll also be able to communicate with your team on specific issues to keep track of where you left off if the same issue occurs again. So go check out HoneyBadger at honeybadger.io. Tell them your friends on the Ladybug podcast sent you when you sign up, and you'll get 30% off for six months. They'll apply that discount to your account with no credit card required. Again, that's honeybadger.io. Okay, so I feel like we normally start episodes by tailing our takes on things, but I feel like our whole episode is going to be our advice and experiences with different pieces of productivity. So why don't we first start off by saying that, like, the most important thing for productivity is to take care of yourself and your physical and mental health so that you are avoiding burnout. I think this is really important to state up front because you think of productivity and it's like, I have to work all the time, but that's actually not good for productivity most of the time. That's going to lead you to overworking yourself. So um, first off, doing things like exercising and sleeping and eating well and Nobody's going to do all of these things perfectly all the time by any means. I know that I definitely do not. I am such like a group (laughs) exercise or gym person. And so the pandemic and not being able to do any of those things has hit me hard from that front. But also things like therapy and meditation, if that's something that you're into or other self-care things, all of those are so important for productivity, just saying that right up front. Yeah, and I would say I would say like a lot of the things that we're going to be discussing in this episode kind of all roll up to taking care of your physical and mental health because everything plays a role in your overall health. You know what is bothering me though about certain self-care methods was that I noticed 
people pushing certain self-care methods onto me, like things that worked for them, they were pushing onto me. So for example, I, you know, I would say, oh, I'm tired all the time. I'm stressed out. And literally the first response would always be, you should try meditating. And I think it's really important to note that what works for you might not work for someone else. And unless you're like trained as a medical professional, I don't think that you should be telling people how to handle these things. Um, One shout out I want to give right now, if you are looking for a trained professional, is the Brain Science Podcast from The Changelog. Marielle Reese has a PhD in something to do with not, I don't know if it's neuroscience, but she has a PhD and she is highly qualified to give advice about different methods that work for self-care. So if you are someone who typically gives advice to your friends and family on, oh, you should meditate. Oh, you should go to the gym. Oh, you should stop eating dairy. Um, oh, that's my favorite one. Please like, stop <laughs> eating certain foods. Um, maybe uh, if, unless you're a dietitian, please stop making recommendations of what people should and should not be. Especially because some people have medical conditions where they actually should or should not consume something. Like people are like, oh, dairy is bad for you. And I'm like, well, I think it's actually good for me given that I have endometriosis. It helps like my fertility because like I have fertility issues. So, um, unless you're licensed as a dietitian or a cl- clinician, please don't tell people what they should yeah. or shouldn't do for their mental yeah, health. for sure. <laughs> Don't think any of this is one size fits all. And it's very much things that medical professionals should be in charge of. But also, I think it's important to state up front that doing these things in general at a high level is good for your productivity. Yeah, fair enough. I think it's, I think what's most important is being like, oh, I do this when I'm stressed out or I do this to help my mental health. Have you tried it? Are you interested in learning more? I think that's a healthier way to approach that conversation than being like, you should do meditation because X, Y, Z. I just generally, this is just turning into a venting session, um, but I just generally dislike anytime somebody starts a sentence with you should. Yeah, this is so true. It's like you should butt out of my business. Yeah. I've been really conscientious about using that word. I used to use it all the time and throw it around all the time. And I think once I built up a social media following, I recognize that what works for me does not work for everyone else. Agreed. Definitely an important thing. Let's quickly talk about burnout. This is something that we encounter very regularly, especially given that we are going through something that is unprecedented with this global pandemic. Um, back, was that last year? I don't even know what time is anymore, but we, Allie and I spoke at All Things Open. One of the keynote speakers, Ackley Matt, Ackley McLemore, Ashley <laughs> McNamara. This is why I can't drink coffee at 5 p.m. She gave a keynote speech on burnout, and it was one of the best, if not the best, keynote talk I had ever seen. Uh, we're going to link it in the show notes, but she is wonderful. And if you are suffering from burnout, even if you're not, it's it's very great. And it talks about preventative measures you can take to prevent burnout. Highly recommend watching that. I think it's definitely important to understand how burnout works so that it's not something that just like suddenly you're burned out. It is a process. It builds up. And it's usually you start like, you know, whether it's your focus. And again, burnout also represents itself in many different ways. So for some people that they just, you know, struggle to focus. Some people get, you know, a little bit more on edge about certain things happening. I'm very much a person who gets on edge and snippy in my emails whenever I'm starting to burn out. But my point being is like, 
it builds and builds and builds and builds to to the point where then at that point you realize that you need to do something, even though you probably uh, should have considered starting to do something a while back when it was starting in the, to build. Um, I think that there's a lot of really great resources on on burnout that are definitely worth looking into, even if you're not burned out, as we've already discussed. Like, Yeah, not just that. I just want to also state, because this is something that I had a hard time coming to terms with was if you are not in a great mental space, you're doing a disservice to yourself, but also to your team and the work that you're producing. It's actually better for you to take the time away, recover mentally, recover physically, come back, and you will be producing so much higher quality work. So yeah, I also think we should say that balance is going to look different for everybody and at different times in your life, balance is going to look different as well. I know that there have been points where I've worked so much and been able to, and then other times like working very little is all I can get through. And I think that that's probably more where a lot of people are leading towards at this point in history. But at the beginning of the pandemic, when I was just locked inside, I was so freaking productive. Um, So I think it's just going to be really, really different at different points and be patient with yourself if your productivity level is not as high as it normally is. I think too, what what is productive to one person can be completely different for another person. It all kind of depends as well on your personal life because the three of us don't have kids. So by nature, we have more free time than someone who has uh, a child, multiple children, uh, you know, a sick or elderly family member that they're caring for, someone who's working multiple jobs. Um, and so take what we're saying with a grain of salt. You have to apply this to your situation and determine what's feasible for you and what productive means to you and go from there. Another book to recommend on burnout is Becoming a Superwoman by Nicole Lapin. And she had really, really horrible burnout to the point where she was like hospitalized in a mental hospital because of it. And She was a news anchor, I believe, before then. And the book is just all about her experiences with overcoming burnout and finding balance and all these different things that we're talking about. But hers was obviously taken to an extreme. And so reading it last year when I was going from conference to conference to conference and producing a bunch of content and... um, working a full-time job on top of that, I think was a really good reality check for me. And I would really highly recommend doing that if you're somebody who doesn't believe that they're going to ever become burnt out. I think we could do a whole episode on burnout and mental health, although we're not necessarily qualified to speak on that. Although, Kelly, you have a a degree in psychology, right? I also have my master's in social work, so I'm a trained therapist. (laughs) That explains why I come to you with all my problems. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of funny. Um, Everyone does. Like, I will find myself, I found myself in like situations where I'm providing almost some level of therapy to uh, new leads that I'm talking to, to job applicants during an interview. It's been a very interesting experience. Kind of my, my, my social work degree pops up in the most random, at the most random times. Really glad I got it. Yeah. I think we should switch gears and let's talk about how to schedule your day and week. All right. Allie, you want to go first with one of your favorite methods? 
Yeah. So one of my favorite things to do is time blocking. I only do this if I'm feeling really overwhelmed or if I'm starting a new routine or something along those lines. But what I'll do is like schedule every single minute of my day on my calendar and have it like color blocks and all that so that I know what I'm working on at every time. Because if you have just a huge to-do list, but no time to actually do any of the things on that to-do list, it can become really overwhelming. And so actually scheduling those times to do everything I've found is really, really helpful. I also want to say that this section pertains mostly to linear time cultures. We have previously published this season um, an episode about cross-cultural communication. And in that, we discuss at a very high level different how different cultures perceive time. Because you know, all of us coming from the United States and even me now living in Europe, those are linear time cultures, meaning you know, meetings start are planned at four, they start at four. Um, and this goes back to like the industrial revolution, essentially, where, you know, people were working on these, I don't know, what's the right word, not a conveyor belt. What am I looking for? What's that word? Like supply chain? I have no idea what you're going for. Like if, pe- yeah, kind of like people were working on the front lines, like in factories, for example, I'm losing my English. Again, I say this all the time, the longer I live abroad, the less English I know even though they speak English in Sweden. But anyway, we all come from linear time-based cultures, but there are are cultures where they don't think of time as linear. And so if you're working, you know, in farmland in Africa, you perceive time differently. And so time blocking works great for linear time cultures. It's not necessarily applicable to, to everyone or to people coming from, I don't know what the other term was, but it was P time. So poly, polychronic time. Cool. One of my favorites is, and there's probably a, f- a term for this, but I don't actually know, is the one, two, three task structure. So basically, you choose one task that you absolutely need to get done this this week. And if you get that task done, you know that this is this has been a successful week for you. And then you pick two tasks that are more on the like the medium level. Like if I finish task one, I will go then to these two other tasks that are less time intensive, not less eager to get done that week. And then the three kind of like minimal tasks are usually the ones that kind of like pop up during the week that I never like actually added onto my schedule, but eventually probably have to do them. Um, I just, I, I like structuring it this way. So it makes me feel like at least at the high level, the things that I'm getting done that week are the things that I, the things that I, I need to focus on that week. I have written down and know exactly what I need to be focusing on. Yeah. I love that. I think I'm going to steal that actually. Because it's so, it's really it's so achievable and it, it's, it provides you with an easy, not easily achievable, but something more achievable than just having one long list that's not prioritized. Exactly. And I still do daily to-do lists for the smaller tasks, but I still have that overarching larger list of tasks that I that I lean on. Nice. Um, one of the things that I like is not having meetings on a specific day. And this can be really difficult if you're part of a larger organization that won't respect that. If you are a freelancer, and we did publish an episode on freelancing, which you should go listen to, this is something that you can probably achieve unless you're working with clients. And at that point, you kind of have to be a little bit more flexible, I can imagine. Um, But at Spotify, we have adopted Focus Wednesdays. I think it used to be Focus Fridays, but then Fridays got filled up with like retrospectives and games. So now we do (laughs) Focus Wednesdays, which ironically, I still have meetings during, but the whole point is, yeah, you might have daily stand-up or something, but it overall, it's a space for you to shut out all of the Zoom and Google Hangouts and whatever meetings 
and pair a program with someone or get a lot of work done. I love that. I do no meetings on Fridays. Um, and my team does not do the same thing. It's something that I personally do because it just, I, having wearing so many hats means that I'm spread very thin. Um, and so by blocking off all meetings on Fridays, unless I like absolutely, if I choose to have a meeting with somebody, I can do that. But otherwise I don't like it's blocked off on like on my Calendly link. So nobody can schedule a meeting on a Friday with me. As we record this on a Friday. (laughs) Yeah. Like I said, I can choose when I want to actually schedule it. (laughs) All right. So let's talk about prioritizing your work. This is something that I, I don't know if I actually discussed in the, in the freelancing episode, but it is something that I cover in my book. Um, Because when you're balancing multiple projects, you often are trying to figure out what you should actually be prioritizing. And I usually base it around three questions. One, what is the deadline for each of the tasks that you have to do? Two, what happens if you miss the deadline? And three, what is the most time-intensive task on your list? So the reason why I have one and two on there, obviously, is you want to hit your deadlines as they come up. But there are different tasks that have a little bit more flexible deadlines. So if I have a project that needs to be done before Black Friday because a client is having a Black Friday sale, that has a very set drop dead deadline. I have to get it done. But if it's something that's just like, I want to have this live by January 1st, um, if we can if we can get it up by December 15th to have some time to test, then I know that I have a little bit more flexibility around the time there. And so I can prioritize what needs to be done first, the Black Friday task, over the December 15th slash up or plus or minus one week t- uh, date. I was just going to say, I think it's important that if you know you're not going to make a deadline or that the quality is going to suffer immensely, you need to be upfront about that from the moment that you recognize this because... You know, like the first year I started speaking at all these conferences, I realized I'd overcommitted and I knew that I was not going to be able to deliver. So as soon as I realized this, I went to the organizers and, you know, I said, how can I help you find someone? I'm not going to be able to do this. If you wait until like a few days before your deadline, whether that's you're going somewhere to speak, whether that's you're delivering something, um, it's going to be a little bit harder to repair that type of professional relationship if you wait until the last minute. So I would just encourage you to A, just be honest if you know you can't meet it and be honest as early as possible. I, I completely agree. And that's something I instill in my team as well to like open up that that transparency and that line of communication just because it's if, if you're not going to meet a deadline and we need to discuss with the client, so be it. But I don't want to see you, you know, making pull requests at 9 p.m. trying to get something done when you don't need to be working at nine or you shouldn't be working at 9 p.m. Well, also you're going to half-ass it. Like at that exactly. point, you're half-assing it. But I also want to quickly say, and before I let Kelly finish what she was going to say when I interrupted her, um, very few things have a deadline that can't be shifted. Like that's something I had to get over because I'm like, oh, people are going to be disappointed in me. I have to make the selling. And it's like, realistically, no, they'll be more disappointed if I don't deliver what I promised or if I wait until the last second and pull out people will honestly respect you for being honest and upfront early than they will. Like, unless you have to apply like to renew your visa to stay in a country, like there are very few things that really can't be moved. Exactly. I often think that there are two schools of thought when it comes to deadlines and quality of work. You're either in the school of this is going to be done on time, but maybe not perfect or not having all the features that were originally requested or you want to deliver a, a near perfect product because I'm not going for perfection here. That's not attainable, but maybe a little bit late. 
And everyone, I feel like, falls between one of those two schools. So what would you say you fall under? I'm very much a, uh, I'd rather deliver something nice or something good, but maybe a little bit late. Yeah, same. I Because I don't like to compromise on scope or I'm an overachiever. So I don't want to compromise on what I said I'm going to deliver, but I'd rather compromise on when. Yeah. I uh, kind of work in a subfield where there aren't that many deadlines, I would say. It's more just do what you can when you can, especially when I was teaching. Like my deadline was delivering a lesson and I had to do that. There was really no way around it. I couldn't just like tell students, okay, we're going to have class at 9 p.m. today instead of 9 a.m. because I need 12 more hours to prep. So I I think what I've been doing the last couple of years is much less deadline focused, but um, I would say I'm definitely on the more perfectionist side of things. That's actually an interesting point as well, though, because a lot of uh, we we often talk of these deadlines as if that's that's how everybody works, and it's not how everybody works. Um, I think that I I am very deadline driven. I I strive with having those kinds of goals in mind, but there are a lot of people who work really like they're they're very productive without ever having a need like a physical end date for having something done, and I admire those people. <laughs> Can we like stop using the term dead deadline? Because I feel like this in and of itself is kind of perpetuating burnout in a sense. Like I'd rather call it like a target date or a goal. Target goal date. You know what okay. I mean? Because like like I said, there are very few deadlines that can't be moved, which means you're not going to like your project isn't going to burn into pieces if you don't make that. I'd rather call it like a, I think it's an industry. A go live date. Yeah, or like a, I would like to get this done by this date, but realistically, it's probably going to move. That's <laughs> <laughs> what I'll tell all of my clients from now on. If you are a developer or designer, you will most likely work with Git. The question is if you get the most out of it. If you find yourself constantly Googling Git commands and not using Git's more advanced features because you're worried things might break, then Tower can help. Imagine you could undo mistakes from Git with a simple keyboard shortcut. Command Z. Deal with pull requests directly on your desktop. Use interactive rebase or cherry pick a commit simply via drag and drop or clone a repo from GitHub with a single click. Tower lets you do exactly that and so much more. You can finally take advantage of Git's powerful feature set in a beautiful graphical user interface that will make you more productive every single day. Try Tower today with a free 30-day trial at git-tower.com and use promo code LADYBUG for a 50% discount. Again, that's git-tower.com. Okay, so let's talk about motivation. I know, Allie, you have you have some thoughts on this topic. I think a big piece of motivation is like finding what motivates you specifically, and that's going to look different for everybody. Like you all just were talking about deadlines and how that's a motivation for getting things done. But there are other things as well. And something for me, especially with side work, is having people to work with on things. So doing Ladybug, where we all talk about things and kind of hold each other accountable to some extent is something that I really enjoy. But something that I also do is like masterminds with my friends about what we're working on and our side projects and strategy for that. So that's something that I found really helpful. Another big strategy for motivation is the two-minute rule. So if something's going to take less than two minutes, you just go ahead and do it right then and there instead of adding it to your to-do list or anything like that, just like getting it done. Um, what other motivation tactics do you all use? 
So one of my favorites is um, the methodology called getting things done. It's actually there. Uh, David Allen wrote a book about it called getting things done. So that's helpful to remember. Um, it's, it's five steps basically. So first uh, step one is capture. So this is where you're going to actually capture the task that you need to do, write it down somewhere. Step two is clarify. So actually processing what it means. If it's actionable, do it now. If it needs to be done later, um, either decide whether it's trash or if it's reference for something or something to put on hold. Um, step three is to organize. So you're actually putting it where it belongs. So you don't forget that you need to do it. Uh, step four is to reflect, which basically just reviewing all of your systems uh, equally and just keeping or reviewing them frequently, sorry, and, and just keeping up with that. And then step five is engage, actually using the system because things only work if you're actually using them. That's awesome. It's so funny because listening to you talk about the five steps motivated me and made me realize <laughs> that Something that actually motivates me if I'm struggling to work out, to cook dinner, to clean, to read a book, if I put on a YouTube video of someone else doing the thing that I want to be doing, I'll do it. So if I want to work out, I'll watch someone like a weight loss transformation video or uh, Chloe Tang, you know, 12 day workout challenge or washboard ab challenge. I don't know what it was called, but um, the two week shred. Yeah. That one, I watched so many of those videos, like pretty much every single one on YouTube. Um, I like to read, but sometimes I struggle to get motivated. So I'll watch people, um, discuss the books that they just bought or, um, watch someone else do like a reading vlog where basically you just watch them read and like live their lives. So ironically, I didn't realize that motivated me until you had started talking about these motivational tips. And now I'm like, Oh, it makes sense. But it makes sense. Like programming too. If I watch someone do a programming yeah. video, I'll get inspired. I do the same thing, um, especially when it comes to working out. So like as soon as Daniel gets up to go work out, I'm like, oh, well, now I need to work out too. So it, that's one way of motivating nice. me. Another one is for me is I schedule my work day around when I'm most effective. So I normally do heavy work in first thing in the morning and then do calls a little bit later. Um, I also have negotiated at most of my workplaces to work seven to three instead of nine to five. Um, and that allows me to work more when I'm productive. And it also has some time when I'm working alone without everybody else asking me for things. So that's something that I've found effective as well. And then I have more time in the afternoon to do what I want to do. Also, like, I don't know if people realize, but most of the time you're starting end times, not most of the time, in some cases or most cases, in my experience, let me, let me rephrase is that in my experience, my managers were always okay with me working from seven to three or, you know, shift my working hours earlier to leave earlier. Um, so long as you're not, uh, you know, working with people cross time zones that are really vast. So like if I'm in Sweden and I have to work with people in California, there's not that much I can do to work the seven to three timeframe because I, I basically have to wait till 5 PM my time to talk with them. But in general, my managers were always super cool with me shifting my work hours. And um, going back to this, when you're most effective idea, I think it was um, why we sleep where they talked about the fact that there is biologically uh, this concept of early birds and night owls that actually yep. exists in your core. So like for me, I am, a, you know, like Allie, I'm effective in the morning, but people who like to stay up, there are people who biologically are more productive at night. 
I'm I like to go to bed like I don't stay up late like I go to bed maybe like 11 or so but I'm very productive in the evenings like between 8 p.m and 11 p.m no. I do some of my best work yeah I can't do that <laughs> I know it I know it's it's uh, different for a lot of people and it's something I'm like very mindful of in terms of like talking to like my team about it um I'm I'm, I'm flexible with when they work as well for that same exact reason but I don't want them to, them to see me working you know at 8 to 11 p.m and thinking that they need to do the same thing. Okay. Another one is communication. And I think this is one that was so overwhelming me when I started gaining a following because everybody and anybody reaches out to you asking for things. It's absurd. And on every single platform you could imagine too. I think something that was huge for me was giving myself the permission to not respond to everything. I think at first it was like, even if this person sends me this really low quality message that doesn't really ask anything and maybe even the hey messages on Twitter, I would feel obligated to respond to everything because that person put an effort into reaching out to me. But I am trying to realize that I don't scale. And the things that I do that can scale are making public content because so many more people can benefit from that than they can from a one-off conversation. And so doing one-off conversations can be nice, but if somebody's asking me for advice or something, usually that doesn't scale and it's very stressful to get back to all those people. And so setting up those expectations that that's something that I can't do is important to me and something that I still feel bad about and weird about, but is very necessary. It's kind of weird, but I like to think of it as a minimum viable person. Because you really can't do everything. And, and, you know, like we we definitely apply that same kind of concept when we're creating a project where we do like the minimum viable product. But in the same case, there's like, like, what is your baseline? And that's what I call my minimum viable person. And that's kind of what I'm aiming for. And there are times when I'm going to be able to scale beyond that and also respond to those DMs as they come up. But a lot of other times, as you said, we as people don't scale. And there's only so much time in the day that we can actually spend to respond to things. So I'm completely with you. And that also applies with Slack and email. I think Slack is one of the worst things that's ever happened to the workplace. I love it, but it's it's created this, this source of asynchronous communication where anybody can ping you literally whenever. And even when somebody like pings me on a Friday evening and is like, hey, for Monday, I have this question for you. I see that. And even though they said for Monday, my brain is already in the, okay, I need to answer this now kind of mindset. I stopped using the term minimum viable anything. I use minimum lovable now. It's like minimum lovable person. No, think about it. (laughs) Viable just means you're physically functioning uh, or that your product physically works. But do users get delight from using it? Are you you know, happy, content, mentally sane? Like that's more important than being viable. Yeah. I, I'm going to start using that. And again, I'm going to take that into client works now. So this is our minimum lovable product. I also know this isn't viable for everybody. There's that word again. But I don't have work, Slack, or email on my phone. And that's something that I've done for the last couple employers that I've had. I don't have it on my personal computer either. I only have it on my work computer. And so I only can access this stuff when I'm intentionally looking to. <laughs> Oh, I keep it on my phone, A, because it's a Spotify phone. So I feel like they gave it to me for work purposes. I should use it to some extent for that. But um, A, there's no pressure to work outside your business hours. Or um, if you're not working, 
like you shouldn't open Slack, but I will say I didn't disable notifications. It's only there for me if I have to go run an errand during the day and it's taking longer than expected for some reason. That's the only time I use it. Yeah, I think that's fair. I also want to talk about email a little bit. So this is a a topic that I could literally do an entire episode on, just ranting about email. Um, I am my own worst enemy when it comes to email. I am an inbox zero person. And again, it's one of those things that I feel, it, it, it makes me feel some level of accomplishment once I get there. But when I see, I can see like my, my life kind of like getting away from me as my email inbox count goes up and up and up and up. So right now I'm sitting at 22 emails in my inbox. I'm like, I have a lot to respond to. And I'm trying to get away from having my email be my to-do list, but it is very difficult. I love email. Like it's my new favorite social media app, but (laughs) it also means I never check out. So Um, I like to imagine that you just send out an email to literally everybody in your address book (laughs) as if you were just updating your status. That'd be pretty amazing. Can you imagine? Maybe I would spend less time on social media. Look at this food I cooked. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Should we talk about scheduling meetings and context switching? Yes, because this is something that's really important to me when it comes to when you're allowing people to schedule meetings. So anytime you have a meeting, you have to understand that the time leading up to the meeting to prepare for it if you are if you need to prepare for it in the time kind of maybe 15 to 30 minutes after the meeting is like you winding down from it it takes your brain time to switch to a different context so if you're constantly jumping from meeting little break meeting little break meeting little break meeting during those breaks you're not actually being productive because you're you can't fo- put your full 100% focus on it because you're you're already preparing for the next meeting essentially um, so I've been trying to block my meetings a little bit. So I have, I, I don't mind having back-to-back meetings if they're all in the same time frame. So like mornings, I do meetings really well. So like nine to 10, 10 to 11, 11 to 12, and then take lunch and then stop meetings for a little while so I can actually work. Um, the context switching is, is tough for me. And it's something yeah, that I think definitely. I constantly battle with. If you can have a meeting in 30 minutes, don't schedule an hour-long meeting. I think that was one of the pieces of advice I got early on was like, set your default meeting to 15 minutes or to 30 minutes and only increase it if you really need it and can justify it. Also, use email, use Slack if it's like a one-line question, um, especially if you're working across time zones. Um, And not only that, then you'll have a record of what you discussed. But um, at Spotify... I'm going to put out a really controversial opinion. Well... I was just going to say real quick, and then I'll let you like, like upset the internet with your controversial opinion. Um, But at Spotify, we do 25 minute default meetings. So it gives people five minutes in between if they need a bio break or some caffeine. But okay. I like that. Yeah. Cool. I I like that. (laughs) I like the way you said that. Um, Yeah. Okay. Hit, Hit us with your controversial statement. Not every conversation has to be over email. Not every conversation should be over email. Please get used to speaking on the phone with people. You can solve an issue in five minutes on a phone call instead of emailing back and forth for an hour. I think you need to be conscientious of which medium is the proper tool to solve a problem because, yeah, agree. You shouldn't have conversations through email, Um, but can a 10 minute phone call solve the conversation, solve the issue um, or can an email solve, you know, 
No one likes meetings. That's my point. <laughs> Nobody likes meetings. And also if it's if it's including a lot of people, I mean, if you're if if there are more than three people three or more people involved, honestly, then you really have to be mindful of other people's time. And maybe then an email is more appropriate. But if you're just trying to solve an issue and it's you and one other person, sometimes it's easier just to get on the phone and, and talk through it. Yeah. I think another thing is to calculate the cost of the meeting, like calculate each developer's hourly rate that you have on the call is that like a hundred dollars or something along those lines if you have 20 developers on that meeting times a hundred that's a lot of money that you're you're using up for that meeting space so yes it is yes it is you you should also use the optional or required invitee like label appropriately because often people don't need to be there, but they might want to be aware that it's happening. I'm starting to do that more. I think, yeah, that's really good. I also just wanted to add, like, if you can add details or high level bullet points to your meeting invite to tell people what this meeting is about, please do it. (laughs) Nothing infuriates me more than getting an email saying, can I have a meeting with you? I'm like, for what? Yeah, I'll get invites and I'm like, this is an hour and a half long meeting with 50 participants. Why is like, what is this? And do I need to be there? There was once somebody who reached out to me on LinkedIn who wanted to schedule a call with me and would not tell me what the meeting was for. I eventually gathered that he was trying to buy my company, like acquire it. And I'm like, you could have sent me a one-line one, a one line message on LinkedIn saying, hey, I'm interested in acquiring your company. And I would have said, no, thanks. And you wouldn't have had to have this back and forth conversation. Please just be clear in your meeting requests what the meeting is for. Definitely. Um, let's shift gears. Let's talk about taking notes, um, and to-do lists. So I'm a huge note taker. Um, I, if I don't write something down, a, my mind begins to wander, especially in this virtual environment. And I just enjoy note taking and I find it relaxing. Um, I typically will take notes electronically using notion just because, Let's be real. I kind of actually do. I haven't been diagnosed, but I'm quite certain that to some degree I have obsessive compulsive disorder with my handwritten notes. It was really bad growing up because I would, if I didn't like the way my handwriting looked, I would throw out the entire note sheet and rewrite the whole thing. And it severely set me back um, to the point where like it was hindering my ability to learn things. So I, while I like writing things down in pen and paper, um, I, I actually waste way too much time rewriting things if I don't like the way it looks. So I just use notion. I actually do similar with the throwing out the handwritten things. What I actually do is I do a first draft handwritten where it's just my thoughts on something, bullet points, all that. And then I go back and I organize all those notes and make them digital in uh foam research, which is this really cool. If you've heard of Rome research, it's this tool where you can like link between different notes. Well, this is a free open source version through VS Code. And I absolutely love it. It's really, really great. Hmm. Um, it allows you to kind of visualize all your notes and put them in this really nice format. So yeah, I do the rough draft notes that are handwritten. And again, my handwriting drives me up the wall. So then I digitize them. But there's some studies that have been done that doing handwritten for notes makes the information more permanent. So I do like doing that as my first, first run. Yeah. I used to do that in school where I would like handwrite it, then hate my handwriting. Then I would like highlight things and then I would type it up because I'm crazy. 
I love the idea of using Notion for taking notes, though, because I pull up Apple Notes to record mine because it's literally the fastest I could just type in notes and then start writing. Um, but that does not make them easy to find later. So I might switch over to Notion. However, when it comes to to-do lists, I am 100% pen and paper. I love physically checking off items on my to-do list. So I always have this notebook sitting right next to me that has all of my meetings and tasks that I have for the day. I just showed Emma and Allie my I love that. But again, I would literally tear out pieces of that notebook because I hated the way my handwriting looked. I think that's I, actually a real problem. <laughs> probably. Yeah, it might be. <laughs> Let's quickly mention a couple of resources that people can use if they want to learn more about how to develop good habits and also get rid of bad habits. Um, it's no secret. We love atomic habits like the book and by James clear. We even did a book club episode on it. It's on our website, ladybug.dev. If you would like to go listen, it's on our website. Like you don't know where to find our (laughs) podcast episodes, but anyway, we did a whole episode about it. Highly recommend listening to it and, or reading the book. I think the physical copy is probably better because there are diagrams in it that are very useful. Yes. Ken plus one that the audiobook was kind of strange because it kept referring to look at my website for the diagram. <laughs> it did that like every couple pages and it kind of drove me <laughs> up the wall when I was listening to the audiobook. So definitely recommend the paper, but the content is great. I finally bought it in hard copy because I was reading it on my Kindle all the time. So now I have the physical copy of the book and I'm excited. Yeah, that's good. Um, the Power of Habit is another one. I like it a lot because it has a lot of anecdotes about how people form habits. I, one instance, it, you know, it talks about how toothpaste became a societal norm because toothpaste was not something that people used back in the day. They had no, you know, incentive to brush their teeth. And it was only once they added the mint flavor or a flavor um, to it that people's habits were actually changed. Can you imagine changing the, the entire world's like hygienic habits? Um, so anyway, that, that book is full of really, really cool anecdotes about things that we use that we didn't even know why we use them, like Febreze, for example, or air yeah, freshener. I think that book is from like a journalistic perspective almost on why habits are good. It's much more narrative and much more of a story, whereas Atomic Habits is kind of the meat without the fluff, if that makes sense. So if you like the fluff, Power of Habit is great. If you don't like the fluff, Atomic Habits is probably the way to go. That would be my way of delegating this. Love it. For sure. Um, Let's talk about batching real quick. What is batching. Kelly, can you give us a quick definition? Yeah, this is one of my huge things. So batching is when you do similar tasks all at once. And why that's helpful is we've talked a couple of times about context switching within here. And so if you get similar tasks done at some, at all one block of point, you normally can keep like the similar task going and it really helps for productivity. So an example of that is we normally record our episodes like three at a time, two to three at a time. And that makes it so that we have more done. We have one block of time where we're getting these through them and we're in that one mindset and can just keep doing that thing. I also pre-record YouTube videos. So I record four of those at once. Then I have my whole entire month of YouTube videos recorded and I can edit them all in some other block of time that I have in the future. So batching, I think, is really, really helpful, especially if you do a lot of different but similar tasks. We used to try batching our podcast episodes. Occasionally, we can get through two. Well, yes. But to be fair, that's an hour for each episode, essentially, and the cognitive load of that. 
a lot of thinking. It's yeah. a lot, especially yeah. across three time zones at the moment. Um, speaking of balancing time zones, let's very quickly wrap up with how to balance work and life, especially in a remote setting. I feel like that's really difficult because I work from my living room and I hate it because I never stop working. I loved having that separation of work and home, although I understand why. I understand the fact that some people prefer to be at home for different reasons. Um, but I personally like to have that separation. Yeah. Oh, same for sure. But I agree. that's not the reality for a while in our industry or probably at all for me. But yeah, I think for me, having some sort of room that's not my bedroom to work is really helpful for sleep, especially. I used to have my uh, desk in my bedroom and I think I just like never left my bedroom ever and it was not great so would not recommend that if at all possible I now have an office space in where I live now and that is so nice I have this whole like room to it I can just close it at the end of the day um I also think we've talked about not having all of your work stuff on your phone that can be really helpful so that you can really shut off from that as well and whenever like Twitter or whatever is taking over I just delete it from my phone (laughs) Um, I don't know about you all. What other work-life balance things? I try to cut my workday off at a very specific time. Like I try to be done with work at six. Um, I I think maybe as a as a business owner, I have a lot. I have a really difficult time disconnecting because I I am constantly thinking about the business. So by trying to actual actually set a cutoff time for my workday, especially when working from home, it allows me to drop everything and then go do something else. Usually it means cooking dinner, but that is something else to think about. So that's kind of nice. Yeah, I think that basically covers it. Shall we transition into show notes? Yes. Let's do it. Cool. Allie, do you want to go first? Yes. My shout out is for Radical Candor, which I just finished this week. It's a book by Kim Scott. And it's all about management for the most part and just being honest. And I thought it was really great. I'm an individual uh, contributor. Sorry, that word was hard. Individual contributor for the first time in a while. I am no longer managing anybody, which is a big transition in itself. But even still, I think a lot of the tenets from the book were really great for interpersonal relationships. And if I ever go back to um, more of a leadership role. So it's really great. Highly recommend. I to I just want to say I've seen some of your candorness, your radicalness, radicalness, <laughs> radical candorness coming out, and I think it's a great skill to have, especially because now that I've lived in Europe for three years, um, my communication style has definitely become more direct, and I think by nature I am being more candid. Is that the right term? Candor, candid, um, because you know, living in Germany for a few years, they're very direct in their communication style. So if you are in the US, which is a an indirect feedback country, I highly recommend that you check it out because Allie's been doing a great job being candid. Yeah, it's really a very, good. very good book. Emma, what's yours? So today I just picked up a book called Me and White Supremacy by Layla Saad. And I'm very excited to read it. I've been trying to read more books about race and privilege and continue to learn for the past few months. And this is one that's been at the top of my list for a long time. So I wanted to shout it out. If you are also an ally and you're looking to 
learn more about race and privilege, this is one book that was highly recommended. I can't recommend it personally, but given all the reviews, um, it's something I chose to pick up. What about you, Kelly? So we have two important books on here, and I'm going to throw out uh, a not-so-important book because I am reading more fiction, and I am currently reading A Beautifully Foolish Endeavor by Hank Green. It is the sequel to an absolutely remarkable thing, and it's a really fun story to read, and I highly recommend picking up both books and just having something in, you know, just fun to read that has no no stakes whatsoever. I've just been really enjoying them. The first book was one that everyone talked about on booktube for so long, but it's just the premise didn't sound very interesting to me. Is it good? I thought it was I, I thought it was really good. Yeah, I I thought it was just it was a fun read to yeah. me. Lighthearted. I don't That's do cool. booktube, but I'm not surprised that people were crazy over it. Yeah. Cool. Well, that wraps up our episode on productivity. If you like this episode, tweet about it. We'd love to read your feedback. This week, we're giving away a copy of one of the books mentioned in this episode to one person who tweets about it. You get to choose the book. So we've talked about a bunch of them. Uh, When we reach out to the winner, you'll get to choose which book you want to read. Uh, We post new podcasts every Monday, so make sure to subscribe to be notified and leave us a review. We'll see you next week.